the streams podcast kip here solo and you know I'm, I'm recording this in very early august probably i think we're at two weeks out from our cast Ion foundational golf tournament uh first annual event that uh, kane and i put on uh for the foundation for our in our in our father's name that our dad was at and i don't want to do the full thank you episode here because uh, i know kane wants to be a part of that but this is a tough time of year for him with uh, boise state's football season kicking off you know d1's big time for college football is launching all across the country this week so i want to hold off on an actual hey let's do 35 minutes and try to get through uh the recap of the golf and all the thank yous you want to do without him being here suffice it to say those of you out there um that did join us amazing uh, i hope we uh put on the event you know you expected from us uh i know we felt great about it i know our dad felt the love and the kind of soul enriching uh environment that it was that you all provided by attending and i know we raised combined with the registration and day of sales sales of merch and raffle tickets and silent auctions we raised almost fifty thousand dollars um, so I do want to let everybody know that we were able to give the largest gift uh, that National Council for Dementia Minds has received to date. We were able to do that because of the courtesy of you all. Uh, and we look forward to doing more things and more events, which includes the February 14th, 2024 in Billings at the Doubletree Hotel downtown, which some of you longtime Billings folks listening will know as the Sheridan, right? Billings claim to fame as having two actual skyscrapers. Uh, and we're going to be at the Sheridan with the first annual Cass Ion Coaching Foundation S Solutions Seminar. Uh, we announced that this week, and we have uh, Kane's obviously the the foot and the keynote speaker in that. We've got Kafense Hinson from Oregon State's passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach, who's a longtime friend of mine, a fellow Bearcat. We went to college together when he was running around as a DB, and I was running around on the basketball court. Got to know each other really well, and maintained a friendship since then. And then Scott Turnquist, another lifetime friend, Skyview Falcon alum, Montana State wide receiver, great, um, and a really successful high school coach in Indiana. You know, in Zionsville High School football has done an amazing job. So those are our first three speakers, and we got three more to announce coming up. And also want to make sure people know out there, our next, that next event, that coaching solutions seminar. Yeah, the morning session of that on February 14th, a Saturday. We will have the usual setup where the guys get the stage each, and you know, we have them 30, 40 minutes each on the topic. But the afternoon, we want to make very unique to us because I want, and I'll have this all up and done and complete on the registration webpage when that's all ready to go later this month. But I want it to be where you and your staff, if you're a football coach out there and you attend, I want you to be able to sign up for special individual breakout sessions with those coaches. So if you think Kane is the guy you need to get 30 minutes with on something specifically for your team, we want to be able to provide that. If you think Kofense or Scotty are the ones that you need sit down time, you and your staff around a table in a room, it's not the clinic environment, it's just you and that expert, a person you trust and respect in the football world. I want to give you time for that. So we'll have different registrations for the afternoon versions of ours, and then we'll go into dinner, which is going to be hosted at a place uh, to be named. It's already confirmed, but we'll name it later in the month. So those are the things in a little beginning of this pod. This is going to be addition on the drive pod with just me. But that was my Cass Ion Foundation since it's, a, since it's a sponsor of the pod. I wanted to make sure we do the updates of that since it's been a while um, since the actual event. But a lot of good things happening there. We're going to keep the momentum rolling and when we come back, we're going to launch that from this break here. We're going to do a deep dive for me on my relationship with basketball camps. And those of you out there, if you're not a hooper, you could apply it to any sport. And just the, the my relationship and evolution with camp 
Um, and maybe there'll be some resonation resonance with you all with either your experience, your kids experience, what they're going through. Maybe you work a lot of camps, coach a lot of camps, but I want to share some things and, and have some vulnerable moments on this dish and on the drives. So we'll be right back across the streams. All right. We're back from the break. Kip here. I've got a lot on this sub- subject and it, it stems from, I think I want to start with my historical, like lived experience with camp because a lot, in a lot of ways, my life, I'm sure Kane would, would echo some of this and some of you out there as well. My life starts, a lot of my lived experience and identity forming starts with camps. And that sounds crazy. I know being 44 years old, but you know, some of my earliest memories from being, and I don't want to say like when I was one or two, but I want to say like seven or eight, six or seven, when our dad, Cass, was the head coach of doing Skyview. Um, and at that time, when he started Super Hoop Cage Camp, Super Hoop Cage Camp, he um, he was the head coach of boys and girls at Skyview High School. So Montana was strange and backwards thinking back then and had the women playing in the fall and the men playing in the winter. My dad coached both, I think, the first three or four years of Skyview's existence. And so he started his camp. And before then, Kane and I had never done, we didn't go to YMCA camps uh, before this. We didn't do anything, you know, besides go to gyms with mom and dad or wherever we were headed. And so the Super Hoop Cage Camp was really my first um, introduction to camp life. Uh, it was a commuter camp. I think my dad probably ran it eight to four or something like that. But it was also our first introduction to who our dad was and experiencing as a coach. Because in the camp, right, like he obviously brought us to the camp. But during the day, he was at he was working the camp and running the camp for the other 100 people in the gym. Uh, so we got to see him in a different light. And sidebar, for those of you that might may have attended the camp or, or have seen our dad in action, sometimes when the when he gets uh, going and is intense and driving, the voice inflection changes, the whites and pupils of his eyes turn white, looks like a comic book character that doesn't have pupils, just has white there. Um, but that was our... That was our first like introduction to camps. We went for five, six years uh, that he ran and maybe seven years that he ran that camp. And really, it was also an introduction to the power of camp. And I think the philosophy behind a lot of camps is growth and connection. You know, and I want to get into some falsities or maybe some falsehoods about camp that I've had to learn to understand. But I do think camps, whether they're basketball, football, outdoor camp, science camp, band camp, it don't matter. I think those are laboratories for young people to learn social connection, for young people to learn social fluency, making friends, losing friends, bullying. And all these things happen in a camp setting, regardless of the sport. And, and I know Kane and I probably met some people uh, for the first time at camp that ended up being lifelong friends. If Drew Hawes is listening, has been a guest on here. My first meeting with Drew Hawes was when he was like, who the hell is this white kid with a yellow puffy hair going around almost dunking? I think he's like 11 years old. Uh, but I, I know a lot of folks listening. We got to be um, around the high school kids. My dad was coaching. They were either coaching us or as part of the same camp. And as we got older, you know, you start to find, you know, how do I handle status? How do I handle competition? How do I handle all these things in a camp environment? So, you know, I, I think I was always a person that believed in camp or was inclined to summer should include camp of some kind. I know the Montana State basketball camp, Coach McDurham, who I want to thank him if he's listening. He brought a team. He was the last foursome in that filled our field at the at the KIF. Coach McDurham ran the Bobcat overnight camps, which were staples for Kane and I, David Gunn from Listen Up. That was our summer life. Um, those were places we went to see. And, and I know back then, AAU in Montana wasn't that big, but we went to Montana State Bobcat camp to not only enjoy being overnight, whether it was the three of us, Mike Boyle was in those rooms, if Jeff Jensen's listening, Chad DeHaan, like all of our homies, we were all going to this camp 
in mobs and it was going to be the best most exciting experience ever because we were in brick breeding field house um how they ran it you had teams you had competitions it was residential you're trying to learn how to budget money for pizzas at night you were trying to navigate the fact that the cheerleading camp was at the at the same time um you were trying to navigate could you get a light blue montana state camp all-star jersey because i know from my i was probably nine or ten the first time and i didn't get a jersey so i was about to be a junior maybe as an all-star in that camp i never got one and it drove me nuts because they'd give you these light blue T-shirt tank tops, but they had the Bobcat logo on the front and on the back was your last name. And that meant you were an all-star. And, and I know what that meant to us, all of us chasing it. I'm sure Kane probably got one or David got one first before all of us. Or maybe David was the one-on-one -on -one champ and he'll probably tweet this out. that Yeah, I remember he was the one-on-one -on -one champ. But, uh, you know, those camps were really growing up moments, not just as basketball players. Uh, but once again, in navigating social constructs and social creations of our own, I, I know for a fact, if Jeff's listening, we didn't treat Jeff very well at, the, at one of those camps. We were engaging in bullying and looking back on it, those camps were ripe for that experience um, because you were in dorms by yourself. You weren't super. Yes, they had supervision. I'm not saying it wasn't quote unquote safe, but you were in cafeterias, you were in teams, you were in dorms, you were in hallways, you were walking all over the campus, 14 year old, 12 year old, 17 year old, and you were just left to your own devices to navigate a lot of the man box that I rail against today. I know I probably participated in it at those camps. Um, and also it was a matter of as you got older and, and were you getting recruited there? Were, were they looking at you? Were you performing? I know there was a year David and I played for my dad at that camp, which was awesome. We won the title. Um, but also he was Dr. Doom that week, which means he was in charge of discipline. Uh, and we messed up, you know, we were on the phone and snuck out, tried to sneak out to go see some Skyview cheerleaders that we knew and hang out with. And we got busted. And then I had to walk my ass up to the front of Montana state camp with Dr. Doom, who was my own dad. And he sent us up to the, to the bleachers and the rooftops of brick breeding field house and said, you see all those thousands of chairs that are up you two, you each get one side, come back down when they're all set back down, like as if somebody's sitting in them. That took like an hour each. Um, so those are all fond, vivid, clear memories of me of camp. I remember Coach Lebsock's Skyview Heights football camp, which was a big status thing as well. And football, like growing up, being at camp and J.P. Williams is at camp, right? And you're on the same field. You're not playing with him. And you damn sure aren't running with him, but he's there. And as you got older, kids were like seeing you there as the older varsity player. So camp for me was a... Um, I don't want to say, I do want to say proving grounds. And I do want to say a training ground for not just the sport, but for how I went about being a, being a young man, how I went about being a student athlete. And, and I can think of a lot of different ways that there were good lessons taught at camp. But while I was there, I was not practicing them. I was probably perpetuating a lot of the man box stuff or, or working on those reps. Now, fast forward, my first experience working at camp as a coach was at Willamette University. Gordy James ran the Pro Classic Hoop Camp for over 20, 25 years. He bought it from Coach Jack Ramsey of the Portland Trailblazers because the Blazers ran the camp out of Willamette. And when Ramsey retired, he sold the camp to Gordy. Legend has it, and I say legend with air quotes up, he sold the camp to Coach for $2 and a beer. This doesn't shock me. And Gordy ran a huge camp. We ran four straight weeks of camp, residential camp, overnight one week of girls one week's of little kids one week of girls two weeks of boys and there'd be 300 to 375 people at these camps this was before you know say 2007 2008 when aau really took over camps were still a thing the high school division would be packed with players you wanted to recruit um all the way through the best players at the younger levels and, I, and that's where i started working camp i worked camp really to earn money and come back from montana from the summer 
and see Kelly, my wife, because she was working camp and that was an easy way for us to connect was, hey, I'll go work girls week as well. Coach will let me work it and we'll get to hang out for three weeks in the summer while instead of being at home and separated. So I started working camp in 1999, like literally David Gunn and Nick Carpenter drove my ass from Billings to Spokane. We made it into like a road trip. I got on a flight and I flew to Portland and then work camps. And the first camp I ever worked was an all girls camp, 315, 320 girls at an overnight residential hoops camp. And from that point on, I think I worked four straight, four weeks, the four weeks of July were always camp, always overnight until 2019 and COVID. And COVID killed pro hoop camp. And the story there is when coach retired in 09 and I got the head job, I took over the camp. But a part of my deal to get the head job at Willamette at such a young age was I, I had to bring the camp from a coach. Coach had it as his own LLC. I had to bring the camp back under the fold of the university. I was still allowed to pay myself for a while and pay my staff, um, but it wasn't the same setup coach had. So I had to call it Willamette University Pro Hoop Camp. Long story short, I did 10 years easy of being a camp coach, a camp uh, in charge of gyms, but not the director of the whole camp. And then I did 13 years of being the director of my own camp. So if you do that math, that's, you know, when I was just an assistant coach running my own gym, a camp commissioner, not director, that's about 1,200 kids a year uh, for 10 years. So that's 12,000 kids. And then 11, 12, 13 years as a camp director, drop us down to 200 kids a week for only three weeks. So then we're probably looking at 600 kids a year for that 12. Let's do the math there, 7,000. So I'm, you know, I'm knocking on the door of 20,000 kids have had me in charge in some way, shape, or form, if not completely in charge of their camp experience. But by the end of that run of, you know, 20,000 kids, man, I, my relationship with camp was pretty much over. I no longer had a labor of love with it. It was just labor. You know, I, I saw value in it um, for the fact that I never, I didn't, I knew, I knew the value it had for fundraising for my players. I knew the value it, I had found in it for bringing my freshmen to with my returners as coaches at the camp for the, then I was coaching Willamette and they could all get a week of basically like we're living and working together. We got a little jump on the season. I, I knew there was value there, but I was exhausted. You know, I was tired of other people's kids. I was tired of as the director, um, you know, all the things that go into camp very much aren't the things that are on the camp and you rely on your staff. Guys like Matt Espinosa was a phenomenal gym director for me when I was in charge of the camp. I just give him all of Cone Fieldhouse. I mean, he could handle 100 kids, no problem. 10 staff, 100 kids, knows has got it. I don't have to worry about it. But all the other things, the, you know, the budget, the food, the discipline issues, all those things just wore on me. And as great as you could feel with one particular individual kid saying, thank you, coach. I didn't want to do it anymore. So I didn't really fight that hard to keep it going uh, after COVID really caused us to shut it down. Now, fast forward. I'm giving you this background of my entire existence at camps. Like I'm beyond a veteran of camp. I'm probably a I, connoisseur is the wrong word. Like, but I get hashtag I get camp. I know it. I know what it's about. I got fired in April. Right. So I get fired. And I'm kind of, I'm not floating, but I, I'm no, I'm really trying to decide where does basketball exist in my life anymore? Teams of men exist, but that's not just confined to basketball teams. That's confined to football teams, basketball teams, soccer teams, any team that brings me in or any coach that hires me as a consultant, I'll be in gyms or I'll be on fields, but I'm not coaching. I'm not, 
taking a ball and trying to get five E5. I'm not doing any of that. So, you know, I interviewed to work some camps. I, I thought about, I've got some camps on the line and I worked a camp this week. And, you know, I, let me put, let me say this. It was, this camp does a phenomenal job of investing in classroom time, does a phenomenal job of investing in the, the language of, hey, basketball can help teach you life. And the people that I work with this week welcomed me in. And I know it's not easy to welcome a 44-year-old, 22-year experience head basketball coach into your gym, into a culture of a national camp that has camps all over the country, um, and then try to tell him what to do because he's ornery and stubborn and and has been in charge before. So I, I honor those people for for letting me into the space and, and working with me. I, I don't know where I'm at with camp still because I, I did do the work this week. And Kelly can tell you every night I'd come home and I'd have – I really like self-reflection, soul, soul discern, discerning moments because I just, I had to stretch, number one, as a person. I had, to, I had to put my ego aside, which is hard for all of us. I had to swallow some humble pie, which I've had to do since I got fired, um, and show up small. It's very hard for me to show up small and silent in a gym. You know, I've been used to 14 years as a college head coach, as I mentioned, been running gyms for camp since 1999 when Gordy gave me my own gym and just said, go, you're in charge. I'm used to coming into the space and my whistle, my voice dominating the space. And this week I was not it and it wasn't supposed to be right. I knew that going in, but it was, it was very difficult for me to not have agency to pivot, adjust, lead. I had to follow. Um, so once again, I, I honor the folks that had to lead me because I, I'm not an easy person to lead having always been in charge. I think as the oldest brother, you're usually in charge, right? And you're just used to being um, your voice says, you know, even as the foundation president or the founder of Teams of Men, I don't answer to nobody. I've been my own boss for too long, right? So, but I, but I, this week I had to sit back and just, hey, here's the schedule, here's the meetings. I had to be sure that in my search and soul quest to figure out where's basketball for Kip right now, where's basketball camp for Kip? I didn't want to squelch or quell any of the great enthusiasm that a lot of the younger coaches was a very young staff me and another coach were older and we, we obviously bonded as the cranky old men but i didn't want to i tried my damnedest not to rub off any of my questioning of what the game means to me anymore on the young people that really love it you know 22 to 25 year old kids that are just about it and had great energy great zest great zeal and all the campers themselves too um but i don't know if camp I don't know if it's basketball or if it's camp still for me. I know some of you out there may be transitioning careers, transitioning jobs, your relationships to past things. It was very much a, uh, for, it was a really up and down, hard, emotional, soul searching week for me because it was like in a space that I used to be exceptionally comfortable with that used to be home. And this week I felt alien in it. I did not feel at home. I felt completely out of place there. Even though, like I mentioned, the kids were great. I had 17 athletes in my basket. The staff treated me great. I, I felt uh, un, unhinged, not tethered. So I, I wasn't ten, 10 toes down like I usually am in a gym. And that's weird for me. Maybe it's part of it was it's in Salem in a space that I used to recruit in a lot, in a space that uh, my kids play a lot of games in. So it was weird for me. I think a lot of there was a lot of kids at this camp that came in with my camp shirts on that whose older siblings came to my camp or they were younger kids when pro hoop was still going on and they had my camp shirt on and they had my signature on the back. 
Um, and they, their parents would ask me, Hey, Kip, when's your camps going back up? You know, not knowing that, you know, I was removed at Willamette as the coach and can't run that camp anymore. I think that was hard for me. You know, it was so affirming for me, like seeing these kids, like I must've done something right. If they still got my, me and my previous staff's signatures and my players' signatures on their shirt, but it was also like, you know, going down to a photo album at a funeral. And that was really hard for me. Um, so I, and I, and I also, in just in general, I think now having done it for so long in so many different ways, I don't think camps grow your skill in the game. I don't think they have the capability of doing that. And we say that all the time at camp as coaches, like this camp this week won't get you the starting job. Maybe it can build foundational habits. I don't even know if it can build foundational habits. Because I think if you do the camp well, it's to make sure they enjoy their week and they make sure they reinvest in your camp later. And that's what every camp should do. So it wasn't just this particular camp that I worked that had the corporate mechanisms and machinations really dialed in and working well. And that's why they're a national power. And that's to be expected. But I just don't know if camp for anybody out there listening and you're thinking about investing thousands and thousands of dollars in camp for your kids. I don't think camp itself is designed or able to grow their skill in the game, but it can grow. And it can be a great week and trial run in social emotional learning because at those camps, they're probably going to be tired. And when they're tired, their conflict resolution skills go fast. Their um, ability to be resilient goes quickly. They don't eat their same schedule. It's hot. It's gross. It's smelly. It's stinky. It's sweaty. They don't know as many people. They got different voices, different leaders yelling at them. So I, I do think if you frame it correctly, it's a social emotional learning ground laboratory. I think that's awesome. Uh, but and I don't even know for coaches if because I know in the past when I was coming up as a young coach, people would tell me, hey, if you want to you want to explore and get out and make connections, you should work camp. Camp will be a great place to, to network and to hone your craft. And I, and I co-signed the first one. Camp is a good place to network because you're inevitably going to meet people that do the same profession or exist in the sport, too. So I don't think that's false. What I do think is false is it hones your craft. I don't think camp coaching resonates at all with coaching the game. Uh, during the season because camp doesn't have scoreboards that matter to the kids. Yeah. They, if you do a good job, you might buy into this week's championship. Maybe it's a trophy, but it doesn't have the same effect because camp you're, you're driving effort, energy, and positivity for a seven, for a four or five day stretch. And that's easy to do. You know, I know people argue okay, every kid's not energetic at camp. I know, but overall it's much easier to do than over a five month college season, four month high school season. And there's no scoreboards or roles or playing time restrictions that the kids can get mad at you about and associate with the drill you're doing at camp. Because when you're in coaching, coaching, if that week against your rival, the scoreboard went wrong, the kids are going to look for reasons that it went wrong. And undoubtedly, they're going to find something you're doing in practice or something you're doing regularly. And they're going to show up with different attitudes and beliefs about it. Campus, they don't need to, they don't show up that way. They, and, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. That's why it's camp. But I, I would say, and I'm talked to a lot of coaches about this, camp is a great place to network. Camp is a great place to maybe get yourself to practice some resilient habits because you yourself get tired, you yourself get cranky and ornery, and can you still show up with a smile on your face for kids? And I think the the, the young coaches at this camp I just worked this week did a phenomenal job at that. But I don't think it's a, I don't think it's something you should be taking notes in terms of how to coach your team with it. You might take some games or some connection tips that you could use in one-offs here and there, but it's just such a different environment. And the reason I say, number one, that it's such a different environment is, and we mentioned a little bit about it, the stakes, not just for the kids, like the kids don't see the scoreboard, but neither do you. And so you show up different. Now, I would argue some of the ways that you should show up to camp are ways you should carry over 
to your coaching. You know, I think that's a teams of men framework thing. Like I show up to camp, you show up to camp ready to improve kids, help kids, let, let them enjoy the day. That's a good approach. I'm not saying that's a faulty approach for coaching, but you don't show up with the angst, the stress, or the necessary urgency to build game plans, to, to, to build schematics, to build towards the season, or repair, rehab, counsel through a season. So you show up in a different mindset, and then suddenly you get to the real season, and you haven't really repped angst, you haven't really repped depression, you haven't really repped strife within your team rooms, because camp isn't full of that. So I think that's a limiting aspect of camp. And now my next big one is I think we got to stop telling this lie at camp. And I know I've done it myself. So I don't want anybody here out here that's worked with me say, Kip, you're, so, you're a hypocrite. You said this. I know I did. And I, and I would go back now and tell myself to stop it. We got to stop selling this hard work is the only thing you need to be successful thing. We got to stop selling to these kids at camp that tenacity toughness and just lots of doing will be their only ticket will be the ticket they need to get all their dreams because I, in the reality of the world is hard work is kind of a low level is a low floor hard work's a low bar to trip over and i know in camp you want that urgency in the gym you want that effort that sweat in the gym you want them to go home and tell mom and dad that they are exhausted mom and dad smile they're happy they paid they invested in your camp they're likely to do so again that's not a bad thing, but we sit there in camp and I've done the lectures. I've sat in the lectures. I've watched slideshows from other camp directors. And we tell kids that they can overcome talent deficits. They can overcome genetic uh, dispositions in terms of six, eight versus five, 11. If they just work hard, that's a lie. We're lying to these kids. They may be able to find their way and earn a space, earn a spot, earn the access to a community with hard effort, but they will not be the star. They will not dominate. And they might not be good enough to even make a team, no matter how hard they work, if they don't have certain talent traits, if they don't have certain abilities. And I think when we pound it in their heads at camp over and over and over, we're telling them a lie and we're framing kids that are taller, stronger, faster, quicker. We are framing in our kids' minds, hey, those people are, they're the enemy, they're evil, they're lazy, they got lucky. And later on, when these kids that we told they should just work hard, don't get playing time on their tra travel team, their high school team, their college team, even though they're working hard in practice, they have a like an episodic breakdown because all these coaches throughout my life at all these camps have told me that if I just put in sweat equity, I'll earn what I want. I deserve it. No, you don't. You are literally going to work hard towards something that is not guaranteed. And that is the sacrifice. The sacrifice sacrifice literally means you're giving up. It does not guarantee reception of anything. And I know that we're selling a bill of goods to kids when we tell them, if you do 19 weeks of camp and you get in the gym and get a trainer and you work, just because you don't see the talented kids in the same space as you, A, that doesn't mean they're not working too. And B, your efforts still might not overcome the fact they're six inches taller, quicker, faster, stronger. And I think mom and dads buy into this as well. And I think that is a root cause of a lot of the parent problems, player problems, player coach strife, is we sell them a bill of goods that hard work is the currency exchange, one for one, hard work dream. No. Hard work sometimes equals heartbreak.
And that's part of life. And I also think there's perpetuation of racist tropes in some of those stories because we like to use examples of black and brown bodies of culture that are bigger, faster, stronger. And if we frame them as the genetic, I've heard this a lot, he's an alien, that guy's an alien, he's so phenomenal, you'll never be him, but hard work, you'll close the gap. No, you won't. But also that person works hard too. I think we perpetuate the racist tropes of black and brown bodies of culture, get everything inherently through DNA and don't earn it, don't work for it. And also our young people are in these spaces, in these camps with us. They're looking around and these camps cost thousands of dollars which is inherently an oppressive barrier to entry. And they look around and they do not see many of these genetically gifted parents got them what they want people in the gym. So then they assume that they're the ones working and those kids aren't. Those kids couldn't afford to be at camp. Those kids, parents couldn't send them to this camp. They're working hard just like you in the park. So I I think we've got to stop selling the hard work thing. I'm not saying we stop demanding and expecting effort. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you right now, you've got a hard worker on your team that is convinced that his effort is enough to overcome the fact he can't put the ball in the ocean. He's convinced that because he's the loudest and he learned some toxic positivity at a camp somewhere, somehow that he should start. And you and I both know that ain't true. It's a benefit to your overall program that he's involved but not when his toxic positivity, he wants a ransom for it. And so I think we got to stop that at camp. I think we can talk about effort. And I think we got to paint the realistic picture that your effort could very well end in disaster, no matter how hard you work. And let's talk about the skill sets you need as a human being to talk to yourself, to process the trauma of working and giving it everything and still coming up short. That's what I want camp directors to do. That's what I wish I would go back and do. So we can stop perpetuating the harm that we're putting in these kids' minds towards other people. Um, you know, long story short, really, maybe this edition on the drive is for more reflection. You know, I think I, I posted this week that you should really find a passion for learning about yourself. And I, I did learn about myself this week. I learned I'm still conflicted. I'm still hurt. I'm still wounded by the game. Maybe not even the game of basketball, but my current status with the game in camp wasn't enough it wasn't enough or maybe it wasn't the right medicine. You know, it's a good medicine for some things. Maybe it just wasn't the right prescription for the, maybe the soul wound I have towards coaching uh, and towards basketball. And maybe that's just not meant to be right now. So anyway, I appreciate everybody taking the journey and the reflection and the historical lesson on camp. Like I said, when Kane gets a minute, we'll do a full uh, episode on the KIF and what we did, what was awesome. Thanking everybody where we're headed. Got a bunch of new things on the way for it. And we also have a great interview set up next week with Carolyn Curtis, who is a prevention educator, um, secondary trauma survivor, um, phenomenal person who's been on before. And I'm going to bring her on next week to talk more about uh, healthy manhood and preventing gender violence and what her work's doing and some reflections I need her help with for Teams of Mint. Cross the streams. It's, 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 it's just us, baby.